if I preach to where the ice cream melts or that long, then I've messed it up. All right, so uh, we, we'll try not to do that. Turn your Bibles, if you would, uh, with me to Matthew chapter 9. Of, of course, uh, those are familiar verses when it comes to missions. But we will go into chapter 10 as well tonight and get a bit more of the story. So once we've read, if you wouldn't mind keeping your Bibles open, because we'll be uh, referring in and out here to Matthew 9 and chapter 10. But if you found your place, if you'd stand with me, and we'll look at the last two verses of chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38, and into chapter 10 a little bit, and uh, we'll get to more of it as we go along. Verse 37, the Bible says, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power. Let's pray right there. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, as we come before you this evening, we thank you so much for your love and goodness toward us. Thank you for the cross of Calvary, Lord. Thank you for the salvation that we have in you. Lord, thank you for this church and how it has served as a source of encouragement, Lord, to us there in Mira Mesa and, and all over the state, Lord, of what you can do. Lord, we pray that you'd bless these next uh, few moments together. As we look into your word, we pray that you would anoint, that you'd give a holy unction, and that you'd help us all to leave here tonight a little more conformed unto the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask you these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, in Matthew chapter 9 here, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, is on the move. Uh, he's moving quickly through the gospel of Matthew and preaching. He's in the midst of his Galilean preaching ministry, and, and he's on the move, and it is a great gospel movement. Now, today, there's no shortage of man-made gospel movements. Boy, you have the social gospel movement. You have the prosperity gospel movement. I know that's a lot in this particular state. You have the uh, uh, ecumenical gospel movement, the reformed gospel movement, uh, the prosperity gospel movement, and on and on you could go. But in a world that is flooded with so-called uh, gospel movements, what we need is a move of God. Amen. Oh, we need a move of God, but what, because when God moves, things begin to happen. Now, we could look at some of the times God has moved in the Bible we, and get excited about those. Perhaps when God moved on the waters at creation or when God would move on the prophets as they preached or when God would move in great earth-shaking ways. But let's never forget that the greatest of all miracles is when God saves a soul. Amen. Hey, when a soul goes from death unto life or from darkness to life and their eternal destiny it changes, that is the greatest of all miracles. And that's why Matthew, in this great listing of miracles we're going to see here in chapter 9, he lists his own salvation and his own call to Christ. But this need of ours for God to move has caused many today to ask the question, what moves God? What does it take for God to move? Because we all want to see a move of God, if you will, and everybody talks about it. But what moves the heart of God has not changed. Glance there with me uh, tonight at verse 35 of chapter 9. Verse 35 of chapter 9, the Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. You see, what moves the heart of God 
even today in 2019, it's not changed. It's the need to reach the lost. What moves the heart of God is the need to reach the multitudes. If somehow tonight we could open up and look inside to the heart of God, we would see that the heart of God is still for souls. Now, that's not always what moves you and I, but that is what moves the heart of God. Uh, we, we know that Jesus ministers to many needs here in chapter 9, and we have many needs as humans, don't we? We have physical needs. Uh, we have health needs. We have uh, we have emotional needs. My wife says I have special needs, right? But that, that's another uh, issue uh, for another time. But glance there with me at chapter 9. Look at verse 2. And we won't read all these verses for sake of time. But all these miracles occur in the great city of Capernaum, okay? Matthew's hometown, the city on a hill. Verse 2, you'll see that a man is, is healed who is sick with the palsy. And he could rise and walk, thanks to the Lord. In verse 9, Matthew is called, and it says there toward the bottom, follow me, and he arose and followed him. He was able to walk and, and follow Christ in, in, in new life. In verse 20, uh, you glance over there, you'll see there's a woman with an issue of blood, and uh, she is healed with such a touch of the hem of his garment. In verse 25, there's a young girl who was even raised from the dead, and the Bible says there, and the maid arose. In verse 29, you'll see that it says, Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you, and their eyes were opened. In verse 33, you see there that it says, And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying it was never so seen in Israel. And all these miracles take place, but I submit to you that more than all of that, more than the seeing of the blind, more than the casting out of the devil, more uh, uh, than even the rising from the dead, there is a greater need of humanity that moves the heart of God in our text, and that is when he sees the multitudes without a savior. That is man's greatest need and that is what moves his heart. Lest we forget, that's always been what's moved the heart of God. Oh, he's, he's called the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. The very first sin of man in the garden, we immediately see God uh, seeking out the sinner. In fact, the Bible says there in Genesis, it was the voice of God went walking through the garden. Wait a minute, what do you mean the voice of God went walking? That's the first mention of Jesus, Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the, the, that Word, the voice of God, went walking through the garden seeking out the sinner, and he's been seeking out the sinner ever since, ever since, uh, moved for the, for the need of man to be saved, all the way through the pages of the Bible until when the fullness of time was come, God sent down his Son to be born of a virgin, to step into this sin-stained world to be our Savior. Why? Because he was moved with compassion on us. Now, perhaps you're like me. I've never been to the Holy Land. Have you been, uh, Pastor? Yeah, amen. And Pastor Willie has, has been there, and, and uh, I hear it's a life-changing experience. So I've never been to Galilee. But uh, there was a day when I was blind, just like the man in the text. I could not see my way. In fact, there was a day I was lame. I could not walk the Christian life in my own strength. In fact, I had an issue of blood according to the Bible, because I was born in sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Worse than that, I was dead in trespasses and sins. But listen, oh, happy day. One day, Jesus passed by my way. Amen? Listen, and he saved me and it, it, with his own blood. And, and, and God was so moved that he moved all the way down from heaven to earth just for us. Oh, just take a moment to, to let that settle in. All the, I like that old song that says, Who am I that a king should live and die for? 
But he went all the way to the cross for you and I. And there's no, all that just to say this, there's no question whether God is moved or not. The only question tonight is, are we moved? Are we moved with the heartbeat of God? Because what happens in the text here, uh, again, it's a famous text, but what happens here is up to this point, it's just been Jesus who's been teaching. It's just been Jesus who's been preaching. It's been Jesus who's been helping people and meeting their needs. But now he is going to pass it on to his church, to, to, to his disciples here into chapter 10. And he knows the way to do that is they must see the world through Jesus's eyes. Now, we used to sing those old songs. We still do, I hope. Uh, uh, give me a passion for souls, dear Lord, a passion to win the lost. But now I think in average, uh, the average song request and when a song requests night in Baptist churches is, I shall not be moved. <clears throat> oh boy, I shall not be moved. Or we used to sing, standing on the promises for Christ my King. And uh, now we want to sing, sitting on the premises. Oh, but God is looking for some people who are moved with the heartbeat of God. Because if we're going to have, the truth is, if we're going to have the life of God, the, the breath of God, the power of God on us, we must also share the heartbeat of God. That's where it's at. So what do you see when you look out at the world? Perhaps a mission video like you see from time to time or just looking out at a globe or, or just seeing the, the masses of humanity that are here in Southern California. And they're moving by the droves, aren't they, up to this area. Boy, Mira Mesa, we, uh, folks would be led to Christ. And then a few years later, they buy a house up in Temecula. And uh, Temecula has always been a source of bitterness uh, uh, to us there in San Diego. Not anymore, of course. You've taken us on for support. But, but uh, uh, oh, Jesus shows them what we are to see when we look out at the world. Because some see nationality, some see races, some see economics, some see Samaritans, some see sinners. But you know what the Lord sees? He sees souls everywhere he looks. Opportunity, he sees souls. If we see what Jesus sees, we will do what Jesus did. So here he shows them what he sees. And glance back there with me at verse 36 to see why he's moved. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because... They fainted and were scattered abroad. You know, man without God is still in this condition of fainted, hopeless, uh, weary, worn out, needing the Lord. Now, when I was a missionary uh, kid uh, in the 90s, every missionary with my parents, every missionary had the same song back then. And uh, it was people need the Lord. <clears throat> uh, and every missionary sang the same song. But you know what? It's still true today. Amen. People need the Lord. Also, back then, I remember there was no fancy videos. It was those slide projectors. And uh, it was my job to put them in there. And if they fell out, they fell out every trip. And uh, there was always one backwards. And it would show up upside down, you know. And, but uh, it was my fault. But anyway, pe people need the Lord. Fainted, weary, worn out, hurting. That is man without God. Now, man will always try to cover it up, whether, whether they turn to drink or alcohol or, or to religion or or, or what things that they do to, or to, to uh, fill their life up with stuff here in the United States. But God sees through all of that and he sees straight into the heart of man that without God, man is fainted and weary and worn out and will be that way eternally unless they are saved. Also, he sees them as scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. This is what we need to see when we look out at souls. It means that they're lost. Now, the religious leaders in Israel, of Jesus' day, were not leading people to God, were they? But they were scattering them in their faith. Boy, you had the Pharisees that were pulling people one way. You had the Sadducees that were 
tugging people another way, the Herodians uh, yet another way, and the Roman occupation was Hellenistically uh, 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 influencing them another way. And, uh, but none of them were leading people to God. But I submit to you that still it is today, religion will not lead anyone to God. Just like in the Philippines. Boy, the big banner. Uh, welcome to Asia's largest Christian nation. Now, beware of pickpockets in the airport. That's what religion will get you. Or worse than that, it'll get you what, what, what I saw every year growing up where people will beat their backs. Beat their backs bloody. All day uh, 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 during Holy Week, uh, leading up to Easter, and, 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 and uh, bow themselves down before an idols through the seven stations of the cross, different Catholic chapels throughout the city, and some would be kicked and others would be crucified for a day, all doing that, hoping that it would pay for their sin. They believed that that would pay for their sin for the year. Oh, but the blood of sinful man and bulls and goats will never atone for sin. And so this moves the heart of God. But we know these things. Here's, here's the problem. Where is the urgency? Because for the Lord, in the text, it's not only a condition of man that he sees, but also a compelling urgency. You see, because the Lord is in the midst of his Galilean preaching ministry. Oh, Jesus is preaching all through Galilee, beginning in Matthew chapter 4, all the way through chapter 9. And the Bible said elsewhere, and also there in verse 35, that he preached in all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, Josephus, the historian, says that there are over 200 cities and villages in Galilee. So if you'd picture with me, the Lord would have preached in every one of them, in town after town and village after village and, and synagogue after synagogue. And after all that, still look over the horizon and see multitudes who need the Lord. And it would break the heart of God. And he would say there those famous words that the harvest truly is plenteous. And we would have to agree with the Lord that the harvest is plenteous. Amen. But do you realize when Jesus spoke those words with great urgency in the first century A.D., the population of the whole world at that time would be estimated around 200 million people alive then. It's not 200 million anymore, my friend. We live in a world of 7.7 .7 billion people. Now, I can't process that number and I don't lie, neither can you. But to help us put it in perspective, if you were to count from one to seven billion, or if you were to give a gospel track like you have here, give a gospel track out to one person per second for each person in the world, it would take you, it would take you 250 years. 250 years. None of us have that much time. That's why there's a great urgency with the gospel. And Jesus shows here one man can't do the work of the harvest alone. We must all partner together. But lest this urgency of the Lord hasn't gripped you yet, flip over a page or so, if you would, to chapter 11. Fast forward just a bit with me. Look at chapter 11, verse 20. <clears throat> Look what happens to this great city of Capernaum, Matthew's hometown. Verse 20, it says, Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Skip on down to verse 23. It says, And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. You see, according to the Lord, there is a world of people that think that they're exalted unto heaven, perhaps because of their status or where their beautiful house is located on a hill, elevated, 
or because of religion, they, they exalted unto heaven, but one day will be cast down to hell. So I just have to ask us, do we still believe that there is a place called hell? Do we still believe that there is a literal place that Jesus warned about? Is there a hell? Is there a place where the lost goal, that have, those that have never heard the gospel or never even had a chance to receive it or, 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 never, or have rejected the gospel, that they will go a place where no one can repent, a place of fire and brimstone, a place uh, of everlasting destruction, of weeping and gnashing of teeth, of outer darkness? Is there a hell? Because if there is, it seems to me like there ought to be a greater urgency to get it out. Amen? Listen, there is a hell, but but much greater than that, there is a heaven. Listen, there is a gospel that Christ has given us. There is a way of escape. We know that. Do you realize there in Metro Manila with 25 million people, that means every day 500 people die and go off into eternity. Most of them never hearing a clear presentation of the gospel. Just like the rest of the world, they have religion. But never hearing the gospel, all of that old quote, the gospel is good news only if it gets there in time. Only if it gets there in time. And so, yes, the need is great here in Matthew chapter 9, but Jesus does not leave us there. He now uh, shows his church, and we believe the church is founded during the earthly ministry of Christ. And so he shows the Calvary Baptist Church of uh, Jerusalem, okay, the way forward, his mission's plan, if you will. Look at the first response of the Lord to the need in verse 38. Jump back there to chapter 9, verse 38. Because there is great power in Jesus' commands. We know the world was created. We know the dead rise. According to the command of the Lord, there is power in his commands. The first one here in verse 38, he says, pray. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. There's a great need out there. But the first answer the Lord has is to pray. Now, just like everything else in the Christian life, we many times put our own effort forward and then we pray that God will bless it at the back end of it. But Jesus says, no, when it comes to my great mission, which is is impossible uh, to be carried out in the flesh, he says, first pray that laborers would be sent forth. Now, this is the Lord's prayer request. Okay? Now, we pray for our own request. You know, hopefully it's not, Lord, help me to win at Pechanga or, or whatever. Hopefully it's not that. But we pray for our own requests. We pray for the requests of others, which is good. But what about the Lord's request? Oh, this is Jesus' prayer. Because, by the way, we talk about the heartbeat of God. If you want to know how close you are or a barometer to the heartbeat of God, what do you pray for? Do we even pray for what Jesus prayed for? For his prayer request. Because this is the heartbeat of God. And by the way, being moved is not just emotion. We know the Lord was moved into action. And so if we want to see a move of God, the, number, the first way is to pray for the mission that laborers would be called forth. Laborers, why pray? Why pray? Well, there's seven billion reasons why to pray, and they all have a soul. But the prayer requests ought to be for laborers. Do you realize for every three missionaries that comes off the field now, The statistic is only one is sent now by the churches of America to take their place. Yet our harvest field in the world is expanding like never before. There's a great need for the harvest. Missions must go forward in the power of God. Paul said our gospel came not in word only, but in 
power. You see, missions begins on our knees. When, America, when we begin to leave the altar as Christians, listen, America began to leave God. The Bible still says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. Yes, the need is for laborers, and they do not come from the Bible college. Does not, God does not raise them up from the seminary. God raised, It's God who calls them through the local church. The Bible says uh, uh, there of Paul and Barnabas uh, that uh, separate me, Paul and, and Barnabas, for the work whereinto I have called them. And then it says that they were sent forth by the Holy Ghost. We must pray for laborers. There at uh, General Douglas MacArthur, there at uh, the end of World War II, issued out a call to send 5,000 missionaries all over the Pacific. You know, in response to MacArthur's call, only some 20-plus families responded. To that and the harvest field was lost in a large way but there's still a call today for laborers i pray as we travel encourage people i pray that more would submit to that so many say i just don't hear a call i like the old song that says there's a call comes ringing or the restless waves send the light send the light it, the call is being issued the problem is many are not heeding the call but our prayer ought to be for labors. Jesus prayed for labors in Luke 6. The Bible says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them he chose 12 whom he also named apostles. Jesus prayed for labors. But if you ask the question, does it work if I pray for laborers? And I just believe everybody here ought to add to their prayer list somewhere toward the top. God sent forth laborers with a burden. Start praying, God Send forth laborers all over the world. Listen, it's not a denomination that gets the work done. It's not a fellowship. It's laborers called through places like this, the local church. And, 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 and if you ask yourself the question, well, does it work if I pray for laborers? And I submit to you, yes, it does. Because look what happens now at chapter 10, verse 1. Look there with me at chapter 10, verse 1. As the story continues, it says, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Look at verse 5. It says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into any way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so you see, the first way missions moves forward in God's plan here is to pray for the mission, but to, secondly, it's to preach the message. To preach the message. Oh, we can pray and we can pray, but eventually, friend, God is going to move you to open up your mouth for the Lord Jesus Christ. The way missions moves forward, the way independent Baptist churches grow is not anything else other than the preaching of the gospel. Amen? It's not music that grows the church. It's not strategies that grows the church. It's the old-fashioned preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. It's not just for the pastor, amen? It's not just for the missionary. We all have a privilege to get the gospel out. We are all called to be witnesses of his. And isn't it amazing in the text here, the same people that Jesus told to pray for laborers. Guess what? Now they're the laborers <coughs> being sent forth. That's often how it works. But that's also why nobody wants to pray for laborers. You're afraid. It's like raising your hand in class. You're afraid God's going to call upon you. And, and let me help you. If you are praying for God to send someone to witness to your coworker, he, he probably wants you to do that. Amen? If you are praying for God to send someone to witness to your neighbor on the other side of the cul-de-sac, he, he probably wants you to do that. 
And so now he empowers them to preach, to preach his gospel. The Lord prayed. He was moved into action to pray, but he was also moved into action to preach. The Bible says from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the people which sat in darkness saw a great light and to them which sat in the region in shadow of death, light is sprung up. But do you realize as Jesus preached the perfect preacher, God in the flesh, they didn't all believe him, did they? Now many opposed him. His own family would sit in the pew at one time and say he's beside himself. They tried to push him off a hill. But the Bible still says to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Listen, friends, that's still how it works today. I know they won't all get saved. I served here in California. Boy, it, it, it's hard, okay? Sometimes it's, it's thorny ground, so much opposition to the gospel. But we're called to be faithful. And there will, if we're faithful to be a witness, there will always be those that call on Christ. At the end of that gospel of Mark, he says to him that believeth, he received eternal life. And to them that don't, they are damned. But it's our job to be a faithful witness of the Lord. And I pray for more pastors and across the United States. And uh, even though we're called to the, another field, I pray for more uh, preachers and evangelists, all those things. But the truth is all of us are called. All of us are called. There's a harvest field now ripen. There's a work for all to do. It's not about titles. Amen. It's not about degrees. I heard about the husband and wife uh, in ministry together. But the husband had earned his doctorate degree. And which is good, but he, he said to his wife, now you have to call me doctor, so-and-so, you know, at the house. Uh, but he didn't know his wife was also working on her master's degree. And she got it. She said, now you have to call me master <coughs> all the days of your life. Boy, that resonated with somebody here, I mean, but... <laughs> Hey, it's not about titles, amen? But if you do have the title of a, of a Christian, of a blood-bought child of God, then you have a royal authority, you have a royal empowerment to preach the gospel, to preach it. Listen, if you have a testimony, I know we can be timid at times, but if you have a testimony, you can testify, amen? You can tell others about what Christ has done in your life, in your life. And I know we speak of multitudes here, and uh, I pray multitudes are saved all over the world. But you know how you make a difference? You know how uh, you change even a community and you make a difference in people's life? Oftentimes it's one soul at a time. One soul at a time. There's a great need. I remember the story of a horrible storm that washed through a coastal town in the Northeast, and all these starfish, thousands and thousands of starfish were washed uh, on the beach. And, stranded to die there was a young man picking them up and throwing them back into the ocean saving their lives one by one and a skeptic came by and said you're not going to make a difference there's thousands and thousands here and he looked at him for a second and he just picked up another one he said it made a difference to that one and it made a difference to that one and it made a difference to that one everybody we reach it makes an eternal difference amen never minimize what god does through you just be willing every day to look for opportunities to be a witness for him. Everybody wants to talk about a move of God, but the truth is God moves through us, my friend. His body, the local church here, God moves through you as you move forward with his heartbeat. And what does it cause us to do? Number one, to pray for laborers, but number two, to preach his message, to be a witness. A Pentecostal preacher one time told me that the greatest miracle that their preachers can perform is to raise the dead. I told him that's nothing. A Baptist preacher has to do that 
every Sunday morning. <laughs> and every Sunday, summer Sunday night before ice cream time. But no, the greatest miracle is not raising the dead or casting out devils. It's to see somebody come to Christ. Amen? And here's the thing. We all have that privilege. We all have that privilege. Every Christian should have the experience of giving the gospel to someone else. And once you do that, it's in their hands, whether they receive it or not. But every Christian should have that experience. Now, we know the apostles were first called to the house of Israel. So before you get excited about foreign missions, you'll never be, have, be excited about the f- missions on the foreign field if you're not excited about getting it across the street. And that is God's great wisdom here in Matthew chapter 10. But we know the gospel would, that great commission would be given and the gospel would be commanded to get all over the world. But we're not each individually commanded to uproot and move perhaps to to Africa or to the Philippines or to uh, South America somewhere. So what is the third and final way we'll look at that in God's first mission plan here that it, it moves forward? First, it is to pray for labor. Second, it is to preach the message. But now look with me at verse 8 of chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 8. Look at the second part of the verse. He says, freely you have received, freely give. Verse 9, he is speaking to his missionaries or his apostles, if you would. He says, provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor scrip for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. So as the apostles were traveling all over Israel, they were specifically commanded not to provide for their own even necessities, not to lay up treasures for themselves. But these sent ones, if you will, they were commanded to give themselves fully to the preaching of the gospel. But to do that, like we read in those verses, others were called upon at times to provide the means. So one, we pray for the mission. Number two, we preach the message. But number three, we provide the means for worldwide missions. Now, if we talk about praying, boy, there's an amen. If we talk about preaching, there's a hallelujah. But if we talk about providing or giving, it goes down to a a holy grunt (coughs) or holy hush. And I understand when we were first, uh, I was first called to preach. It was there in Oklahoma City, and and, uh, we young guys, we would just go downtown and and, and preach. We'd go downtown uh, Bricktown and and witness and preach to them as they were lined up uh, by the bars and uh, no churches and, and no fancy pulpits, but there were lost people. And, but I remember the first time I was called to, or, or, or invited to preach at, at a church uh, later on, the pastor gave me what was called a love offering. I didn't know how to react. I felt like saying, by the grace of God, I'll never stoop so low to take money for the preaching of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. But I've changed my position on that. <laughs> because... The truth is, it's God's plan that we would all, we would all participate in getting the gospel all over the world. For instance, I, I, by God's grace, I can go to Manila and, 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 and uh, do my best to reach folks there, but I can't get the gospel at the same time to Africa. I can't get the gospel at the same time to South America. But you see, even as a missionary, I give to Faith Promise Missions so that uh, through my local church, so that the gospel, I can have a part in getting the gospel further than where I can just go physically. And that is the great privilege we have as being members of an independent Baptist church. Paul said this concerning mission giving. He says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. 
You realize that? What a, what a great privilege uh, that is. Now, much we could say about providing the means, but you've already voted to support me, so uh, <laughs> I just want to relay to you what, a great, what great blessings are in store for those that help provide the means. I'm sure there's many here who could give testimony of how God has blessed your life as you've helped provide for the needs of this local church through your tithes and, and, and for the wor work beyond through missions giving. Uh, I've seen, of course, growing up in a third world country, those sacrifice and give out of their poverty, but the grace of God abound toward them. But ultimately, it is the Lord himself who is our great example. I'm so glad he was moved enough to pray. I'm so glad he was moved enough to preach. But way more than that, I'm so glad he was moved enough that he provided for our salvation. Amen? Hey, listen, the Bible says it wasn't with silver or gold or corruptible things, but it was with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Friend, he gave it all. The Bible simply says this, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We'll never understand on this side of eternity what a great high price he paid for you and I. All we can do is be grateful and say, God, use me, use me to help get your gospel out. Now, in conclusion tonight, I want to point back to some familiar words of the Lord that we miss sometimes. Look at verse 37 again of chapter 9. In conclusion, look at verse 37 of chapter 9. Of course, it says there, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous. Many times we take that verse and, and only apply it to mean that it's the fields that are plenteous. And there's a great need, and that is true from the verse. But that's not all the Lord says there. He says it's the harvest that's plenteous. You realize the harvest, it's not just souls. The harvest are souls that are ready to get saved. Amen? The harvest are souls that are ready to be, weep, to be reaped. There's a harvest field now ripened. There's a work for all to do. Listen, the gospel is still great to save. In, in, in 2019, there can be a great harvest, and each one of us has a harvest field. God has people for you to reach that I could never reach. He has people that, that he has put in your sphere and influence. And according to the Lord in these great verses, the problem is not the harvest. The problem is the laborers. The laborers is what it comes down to. And so I pray that God would never say of my life or of your life that the harvest I had for you, the harvest was plenteous, but the prayers were few. Or that the harvest was plenteous, but the preaching was few. Or that the harvest was plenteous, but the provision was, was few. No, if the harvest is plenteous and our preaching, our prayers, our provision ought also to be plenteous. Because in that great commission, he says, go. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And then at the end, he says, and I will be with you all the way to the very end. You see that? If you want to see a move of God, if you want to see God move in your life, he promised he'll go with you. But it's conditional on going forward with the gospel. Go, he says, and I will be with you. So let's go forward in the heartbeat of God by praying, preaching, and providing. And I promise you, based upon the authority of God's word, he will be with you all the way until the very end. Let's pray.